your Bibles to the book of Genesis and chapter 41. And uh, we're going to carry on looking through the life of Joseph in our morning meeting. Um, yeah, I'm going to preach from this passage shortly. Let me say a word of prayer before the preaching of the word. Let us pray. Our blessed God and Father, we thank you for uh, the privilege to come before your holy word. Thank you um, because of the presence of your Holy Spirit who assures us this is God's law. Uh, this is um, that this bears the very imprint of, of God's uh, presence and God's authority. And that if we listen carefully to your words, to the words of the scripture, we will be hearing God's voice himself. We believe it. We believe it um, uh, because our Savior believed it and confessed it. Um, and we, we pray that you would feed us, Lord, with your word today. I pray that your, your word will be powerful in the hearts of your people. It will give us hope. It will give us, um, it will renew our minds. And, and uh, it would, it would um, renew our thinking so that we would rid ourselves of the temporary hopes of this, that we often put our trusting in this world. And our focus will be on that which Christ alone can give. Help me, Lord, then, to be an instrument in your hand for that, an instrument to uh, draw your people's hearts and minds to, to you, to the living God, who is among us by his Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we uh, continue our study of this series, and we come to a kind of turning point, really, in the in the story of Joseph's life when we turn to this point of, when we come to this point of the, of the story, this point of the narrative, um, there's a saying sometimes in, in sports, in football, to be precise, about a game of two halves, right? And, and the game of two halves is basically saying uh, when, it, when a football game starts and it looks to be going one way, perhaps one team is looking certain that they're going to, to lose, and then... But, but football's a game of two halves. You have to wait to the, to the end and the second half, and that's when uh, things can change and the trajectory of a game can shift. And so, you know, you can't ever base judge a football game simply on how it starts. You have to follow it to, to the end. Um, and because and things can change dramatically. There can be turning points. And this is, uh, this is kind of tr true for, for Joseph. We have been looking at the first half of Joseph's life um, and things that look really bleak for Joseph. It's the first half of a lot of um, trouble, a lot of betrayal, a lot of uh, pain, rejection. Uh, but of course, God was with him, is the, is the repeated statement we have. God is, is with him. And so that means that for Joseph, yes, his life will be, um, in a sense, a game of two halves, that there will be this turning point, and there is, and uh, it, it's, it's emphatic in the way that it's placed for us just in the story. The author, the, the writer to the book of Genesis, really wants us to see that there's this turning point in Joseph, Joseph's life, that without warning almost, God just turns everything around, and that uh, almost like you see a build-up, and there's still more to be, to, to be seen in the life of Joseph, and still many more significant things that happens here, but this is the point where everything turns around, and almost, as I was about to say, that, that everything is building towards this, that uh, all the suffering of Joseph was, and all the trials and all that he faced was building so that he could arrive at this point where he could speak about God um, restoring him, restoring everything that he has lost, um, that God was, God was always going to um, act for his servant, for Joseph. God was always going to restore him. God was always going to um, comfort him. Uh, God was always going to reward him. And so we come to this point. We come to the first um, statement or the first indication of things turning around for Joseph that God can restore. And, and that just that alone, so the story of Joseph at that point often fills God's people with a lot of optimism. You know, we read in Joseph's life about God, a God who restores, a God who is there when things are tough and when things are difficult, 
and he's there through the pain. But not just that, he can turn the, the night into day. He can turn the morning into dancing. And we, we see this, you know, unmistakably at this point and just generally in the life of Joseph. Um, and that's always been the, the confidence of, of God's people, you know, that we have a God who he, he doesn't sleep and he, he sees our agony and pain. And in the right time, in the right season, he's going to make all things right. Um, the psalmist says, he, he restores my soul. Uh, in the right time, in the due time. We, this is why uh, one, of the most, uh, one of the highly commended virtues to believers in the Bible is endurance and perseverance. Because a time will come when God will turn things around. Serve a God who can restore the wasted years. The years, to quote Joel, uh, that the, the locusts have eaten. God can restore that. Um, or to quote the Apostle Paul, that there's an eternal weight of glory awaiting us, eternal glory, that far outweighs all the, what Paul calls, light affliction, compared to what God will do in restoring his people. The things that we suffer here are just temporary and light and small. And so God's people have always lived their Christian lives by hoping for the day of restoration. Well, this morning, I want to make a few observations about what happens when God acts, and he does act in providence to restore. God restores. God restores Joseph. And I was saying that essentially studying, going through the book of Joseph, you're, you're learning something that is central to the rhythm of how life works. The, the, the faithful, those who have the spirit of God, those who study the scriptures will see it. Those who do not will miss it and think it's haphazard and accidental and they won't learn the rhythm. But those of us who know that this is the God of the Bible that reveals himself here, we will learn how God, God's pattern. And one of the patterns, again, that we see, uh, that I want us to see, is the pattern of God restoring things. God often acts. And I think God does this. He does this even for people sometimes who don't acknowledge it, for the unbelieving. But God has a pattern of of, of restoring people. He has a pattern of, of eventually coming to the aid of those who have suffered money, much loss and, and turning things around for them. And he does that over and over again. And I, and I want us to pay close attention as people who believe and find comfort in the knowledge that God does that. But also then show you that ultimately what this is meant to tell us is that we should look for the final restoration the certain restoration that is promised to us. God does restore many and, and does work of restoration for us at many points in our lives. But uh, also in this present world, there's many things that God leaves unrestored. There's many, many things that are not resolved. Many, we, we, we go to our, our graves bearing many pains, having many regrets, acknowledging many failures, not being able to fix many wrongs, but God promises that not even death can stop him from finally restoring everything. And so when we learn, when we see God's pattern, God's, to use uh, maybe for lack of a better phrase, something uh, quite, con I guess, con condescending, you might say God's habit. When we notice God's habit of restoring, because you could probably sit there and say, oh, yes, God has restored in my life. I, I did go through this, and God, God restored me at this point. And, and when we notice that pattern, it's to cause us to look for the greater pattern of God's final restoration. We can't find absolute confidence in our temporary patterns of restoration because they're just temporary. But there is a permanent, eternal restoration that God promises. Well, what happens then when God restores? So let's take a moment to... I'll do that. I want to draw attention to four things that God does when he restores. And so take a moment to acknowledge, to almost worship at the, the way God works. You know, how God, how God moves. It's, it's, it's God's art. You know, I don't know what kind of art you like, but, you know, if you, you, some, some, you, you, your, your favorite kind of art, you, you, you pause and you acknowledge the grace of the movement of the artist. It could be in music, it could be in sport, 
But you say there's a gracefulness to it. There's a beauty in how they accomplish their goal. Uh, There's a beauty in how they execute their plan. Well, the greatest artist of all in that regard then is, is, is the living God. And there is a glory in how he accomplishes his plans and providence. And one of those things he accomplishes is the restoration of those who, who have suffered. Now, notice then these four things that happens to Joseph. We read unmistakably, right, a story of restoration. This servant boy, well, he was, a, he was not originally a servant boy. He, was, he was a, 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 a belonged to a big family, but he was sold to, into captivity, sold into slavery. So he's been living um, past 13 years or so of his life unjustly enslaved. Um, and last time we were with Joseph, we saw him being rejected even in prison, broken in prison, and everything was looking gloomy and hopeless. His only comfort was God, and God comes through, God restores him. That's clear because by the time we finish reading Psalm 40, sorry, Genesis 41, Joseph the slave is now the second most powerful man in Egypt. He's powerful. Um, and that's, it's a, it's a huge work of restoration. So, so, so what, what takes place as God restores Joseph? Well, the, the first thing I want to say is that when God restores, he remembers. He remembers. Um, that's, that's uh, by the way, that's not blasphemous or is not, uh, I'm not, I've not said anything incorrectly. That's very biblical language for how God works. Very often the Bible speaks about God remembering, right? Strange because the, he's omniscient. Um, we're going to look at the, in our Tuesday Bible study this Tuesday, we're looking at how God is the only wise God. He knows everything, right? God doesn't learn. He knows all things. All things are available to him at once, eternally. And yet, the Bible can speak at different points. The Bible speaks of God remembering when the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt um, and, and Pharaoh was mistreating them. And at one point, everything was so hopeless. All they could do was cry to God by reason of their suffering. The Bible said God remembered his covenant. He can't forget, so why does the Bible speak this way? Um, but, but, but that's what happens, is, is God remembers. And I think essentially, when the Bible speaks about God remembering, um, it's speaking about God turning his attention to do something about a situation. For whatever reason, for a season, God might be almost, you might say, silent. I'm going to allow things to go. Of course, there's wisdom behind it. But at some point in his wisdom, God often determines to turn things around, to change things. He acts powerfully in the way only he can, and so in a way that's unstoppable. And when God's people see that, that God finally acts to deliver them, or God finally acts to hear them in prayer, or God finally acts to save, they, 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 they say God remembers. He turns his attention towards. Interestingly enough, this had been true about, this is said about Rachel, um, Joseph's mother, when she was looking, longing for a baby, and finally God gave her to conceive. So God remembered. God remembers. And so God remembers Joseph. That's what happens when he restores. Joseph has been in prison. Uh, verse 41 starts by saying, after two year, whole years, so two whole years after he had pleaded with one of Pharaoh's officials, you know, he interpreted a dream for him and said, when you get to Pharaoh, please put in a good word for me. Two years went by, as the writer to the book of Genesis tells us before, he, the man forgot Joseph. He had forgotten Joseph. Um, and so after some years, it just seems like Joseph had been forgotten. And indeed, the, the, the Pharaoh's cupbearer had forgotten Joseph. But you know, it doesn't really matter that men or people forget. It doesn't matter that human beings are frail and, and they do become forgetful. I don't know if you, I suspect it was somewhat malicious on the part of the cupbearer. I, su- I suspect that by the time he got back to his position, he realized that I'm not about to recommend some Hebrew slave who has no, uh, he has no status in this land. I'm not about to recommend him to, I just got my spot. I'm not about to let someone, you know, like, mess me up, recommend this guy to Pharaoh now, and Pharaoh thinks I'm trying to do something. No, 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 I'm not, I mean, thank you for what you did, but listen, I need to, need to think about me first. Um, but it, and it doesn't matter that people often do that, that people 
are often not able to be as faithful or as consistent as they would like to be or as they suggest they will be. Because it doesn't matter if men forget us, if God remembers. So these men had forgotten Joseph, but God had not. And when God chooses to remember his servant, then no man can forget. No one can get in the way. And when God chose to remember Joseph, it wasn't the butler that was important. God went to the king of the land, the highest point. So God gives Pharaoh this troubling dream, a dream he can't shake off. Pharaoh doesn't understand that part of the reason why God is doing this is because God has remembered Joseph. He just knows that this dream is important and he feels like this dream tells him something about his own career, his own future. So he's desperate. But not just that, when Pharaoh seeks to find solution to his dreams, none of his servants can help. None of his wise men can help. Um, and all of the wise men, because God has withheld this dream from them, he's withheld the interpretation from them, because the dream was never meant to be theirs to interpret. It was always a means by which God was remembering Joseph. And uh, finally, of course, the butler actually uses those words. He says that uh, in, in verse, verse 11, sorry, verse, verse 9, he says, I remember my offenses today. I mean, now he remembers Joseph, but ultimately it's because something greater is happening. Is because God is remembering Joseph. And when it's time for God to remember, then no man can forget. And he says in verse 9, I remember my offenses today. And now he's able to, he, he's desperate, so he's able to recommend Joseph. And um, he speaks about how Joseph gave him a proper interpretation of a dream. And verse 14 says that Joseph is brought out quickly, very quickly. Um, before Joseph knew it, before he could blink he was he had gone from being a prisoner he had gone from being enslaved he had gone from being lowly and uh, without value to standing before the king of egypt and very shortly he will have all of egypt in his hands because god remembers him and so very often when god restores when god is about to restore he can do it suddenly, without warning, out of the blue, unexpected. And one of the reasons why God does that is because so there's no room for boasting. So that when there's final restoration, none of us say, I have done it, because we see the miraculous way in which it happens. One of the reasons why God acts that way is because so that we have no doubt that this was the power of God and not by my effort. Yes, Joseph had been a faithful man in prison. Yes, Joseph had had been faithful in interpreting dreams, but all Joseph's efforts had gotten him nowhere. By the time Joseph rises to the point that he rises to, being the most powerful man in Egypt, Joseph is certain that this was God. But when God restores, he can do so in the blink of an eye instantly, right? You realize that nothing has ever been holding God back. It's just that in his wisdom, he chose to not act. In his wisdom, he chose to be silent. In his wisdom, he chose to allow Joseph to go through trials. So from the very beginning, God could have preserved Joseph from having to go down into, the, into Egypt in the first place. From the very beginning, God could have exposed Pharaoh, um, Potiphar's wife and her lies and kept Joseph um, in, in, his, in his job as, a, as, a serve, as an attendant in, in, in the house of Potiphar. From the very beginning, God could have made sure that the butler went back to Pharaoh and recommended Joseph. And every, but God just chose not to. It's in his wisdom for his glory. Uh, but when he does choose to act, nothing can stop him. And very often when God restores us, that's how he does it. He does it in an instant. And we're not expecting. In a way that we can confess is, should I say, miraculous. We can see his power. And this is why God's people must persevere and not give up hope. Because it doesn't matter that we've been looking for this for this length of time. It doesn't matter that we've been hoping for change for so long when we know that in, the, in a flash, God can change things. This is why we persevere in prayer. Because who knows when God will decide 
to turn things around. And if someone gives up, if you want, on God, gives up on seeking God, you, you say to them, you, you think to yourself, you've, you've misunderstood God's power. You, you think God works according to our ta- calendar and our timing. And you say, I've been, I've been, it's, this has been going on for so long. So obviously, God has no interest in restoring. But you're obviously ignoring the clear pattern of how God has often chosen to work. God has very often chosen to work by allowing long delays and then changing things in an instant. When we were not expecting it, when we couldn't see it coming, he just puts forth his power. He just demonstrates his power. And that's why we hope in God. Because he can turn things around when he chooses to. So very often when God restores, he remembers. He just turns his attention to his people. Um, when he had seemed like he had been sleeping. Of course God doesn't sleep. When he had seemed like he wasn't going to move. And he's just been allowing things to go. That's why in a true sense a Christian should never feel lost. You know? We never feel like we have no sense of, of purpose. We feel like we're in limbo. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And, and feel so confused. Because... You serve the God who can turn things around in an instant. And when you feel like that in your life, you should, be, you should have learned the lesson. That is because God chooses very many times to just allow you to go through that. He, 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 there's, nothing's holding his hand back. And in, in the right time, in the right season, as quickly as he needs to, he can turn things around. When God restores, he remembers. The second thing God does when he restores is he rewards when God restores his people, when God comes and he, 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 he commits himself and he, 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 he's dealing with the, uh, the injustice his people have failed, the sufferings, when he's about to turn things around for them, he rewards them. We know God has re- restored us when he finally rewards. The Bible says God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And Joseph had been living a life Without reward, faithfulness, without reward, diligence, without reward, righteousness, without reward. In fact, he had been uh, cheated out of his reward. Rather than, or, or you could say he had been rewarded, but rather than being rewarded the good he deserved, he had sowed good. He had sowed righteousness, he had sowed diligence. But rather than be rewarded with the good he deserved and the respect he reserved, deserved, and the gifts he deserved, he was rewarded with injustice. He's rewarded with, uh, with, with betrayal. He's, he's rewarded uh, with, with forgetfulness. Uh, and, 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 and this is in spite of the fact that from the beginning, we have seen this man's faithfulness. And you ask yourself, was this to be the reward of righteous Joseph? Would, would, would faithful Joseph, who stood up for the truth and so... Uh, could not condone his brother's waywardness, and that, that eventually got them to hate him. Would, would, would faithful Joseph, who, when he was thrust into Potiphar's house, un, unjustly as a slave, refused to be bitter, uh, refused to be greedy, but served faithfully in that man's house, and, and then was betrayed by a wicked woman? Would, would this Joseph, is this how it was going to end for him? Joseph, who was still able to be faithful in the prison and serve those around him who were in misery, even though he was in misery himself, would this be his reward? And very often, God's people have to ask that. We, we, the righteous ask that. Well, what's the reward for righteousness? When we will see the reward for, for, for doing things God's way, when the wicked prosper, when those who uh, delight in evil are the ones who seem to have the priority on, on reputation and fame and wealth and progress, where would be, uh, do, do the righteous not reap any reward in this world? Those who trust in God, is there reward from them? But you see, with, just like with Joseph, so with us, indeed the day of Joseph's reward did finally come. God had not forgotten. And when it's time for God to restore, he rewards his people abundantly for their faithfulness, right? Joseph had been a man who had learned to be faithful in the prison. 
He hadn't turned his back on God in prison. So in prison, when the butlers and the, and the, and the, and the baker, when they asked Joseph if he can interpret the dreams, Joseph says, ultimately, no, no, I can't, but God can. Now when he stands before Pharaoh, and you would think that this man should prioritize trying to impress Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I he- Pharaoh ex- exaggerates his abilities, right? Pharaoh says, oh, I've heard as soon as you hear a dream, you begin to, you, the, 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 the interpretation just flows out of your ears, basically. It just comes out. You don't even have to, before I've even said full stop, you're already telling me the whole thing. And Joseph kind of says to him, I don't, you don't need to flatter me. Um, and no, it's God who interprets. Joseph gives glory to God. Unlike uh, I'm preaching tonight about Herod, who didn't give glory to God, but Joseph gives glory to God. Joseph had learned that there was no, he'd learned by now, there was, there's no worth trying to, appease men, trying to live for men or seek men's favor, so he could stand before Pharaoh and say, to God be the glory, right? I hope, I hope we can do that. I hope we can stand before the Pharaoh of our day. And you have to be able to do that, brothers and sisters, wherever you find yourselves, to stand there and give God the glory, right? In your workplace, in your family, in our society, God is going to put all of us in situations where, can you stand there and say, to God be the glory, can you stand in front of sinners and say, no, this is, this is God is, is glorious. God is true. I, I, I'm, I live for him. I'm made for him. He's the one who is worthy of praise. Are, are you going to live that way? Anyway, Joseph stands there. You see, a man who had learned to be faithful, uh, not based on his circumstances. Uh, and, uh, and that man now is going to reap his reward. He's going to be rewarded because he trusted God. Because he put his hope in God. You know, the Bible says our Lord Jesus was rewarded because he, 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 he took up the cross, right? Fixed his eye on the joy that was set before him. And uh, heaven and earth was his reward, of course, the only begotten son of God. Well, Joseph is rewarded. And how is he rewarded, right? In what ways? Abundantly. Um, uh, Pharaoh so impressed with him, says... Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And, and says, listen, you're, you're going to be in charge of all of Egypt. So he's essentially made, he's made something of a king. He's, he's really a ruler. He's powerful. Uh, everything, he, he, will, he, he will rule everything. But notice, Joseph had, one, had once occupied a similar position, both in prison and in Potiphar's house. He also was something of a ruler. But because he had been faithful there, now God rewards him, and God rewards him abundantly. Um, he's, he's, he's given um, royal robes, right? A gold chain about his neck, like, some, like he's some rapper. Um, but this is a legit gold chain, not, not, uh, not some of the ones I've seen in this church recently. Um, I'm playing, I'm playing. Uh, but he's really rewarded. He's, 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 he's got the wealth of the land, and he's, the Bible just wants to tell us about full restoration. He's got, he, ma- he married, and he has children, and he's rewarded. And you see, when God restores his people, one of the things we look forward to is him rewarding us. He, he rewards his people. They, we go, and it happens in this world, yes, that we, we go through times when we don't see the fruits of our labor. We don't see the fruits of our diligence and uh, the good that we do and the efforts that we make. Rather than reap blessing for them, we seem to be reaping curses and the, the betrayal of people and the uh, and there's there's no 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 advancement no progress but when God often visits His people to restore them it's one thing He does He rewards and learn to praise God in the assembly of the congregation when God visits you and He restores you at some point in your life you learn to praise God for that thank God who restores who promotes who gives gifts and who gives them abundantly this is the way of God. To just restore, as I said, to meet us suddenly when we're not expecting, but also to, to then meet us and bless abundantly in ways we couldn't have imagined. So how God often works, he works this way. The story of providence says it. The history of the world says it. My life, your life says it. That God often works this way. And this is what it means for God to restore and I'm, I'm coming to this at the end, but the point is we taste this at points here, but God wants us to 
look forward to the day when we shall finally expect, expect, taste it. And when that happens, one of those things that will happen is there will be reward. God will give gifts abundantly. We say, this is, we say yeah, this is, these are the things I worked for. These are the things that you know, I thought my faithfulness would, uh, would earn in the past. And, and now I see them. But God has given me far more than I deserved. And we bless God for his free gifts to us. So when God restores his people, he also uh, rewards. It's, it's sad because this is a story of so many people as well who don't know the Lord. And so they don't realize it's God that did it. You know, they praise God. They, they praise, they thank God for their parents or they thank God for the community or they, or, or they thank God for themselves. And, you know, they, they say they, 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 they praise themselves and how, how hard and how hard they worked and how focused they were and how diligent they were. And they don't realize this is the, the blessing of God. This is it's to God who you should give the glory. Anyway, third thing is when God restores, he repairs. He repairs. When, he, when God finally visits his people in restoration, when God is about to make all things new, when God is about to right the wrongs of the past, one of the things he does for his people is he repairs them. He repairs. Look at, um, this is how Joseph understood this. So Joseph rises to power. He's no longer a slave. He's no longer facing the, inju the injustice of those who betrayed him. Rather, he's reaping the rewards of his own diligence, but in ways that he couldn't have imagined. He's married. He has children. And Joseph takes the gifts of children, and they're a token of testimony for him. So you notice what he mentions, calls his kids, his children. Verse 51, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. He calls the child Manasseh. Manasseh, the second child, Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And Joseph was experiencing, not totally, but at least the beginnings of God healing him. So, so when he's naming his children, he can't forget what he went through, the hardship, the affliction. But now he was beginning to see some light through this. Now, I don't think Joseph knows if he'll ever be able to recon be reconciled to his family. I'm sure he wants to be. But now he's beginning to see, uh, he's beginning to see that God is, is healing his heart, that God is going to restore his joy. You know, you can't imagine how many nights he spent in those prison cells uh, just weeping and grieving what had been done to him, his broken heart. Uh, and listen, I think... Uh, a broken heart is, and, and uh, the pain of the heart must be, the, must be more painful than even physical pain. But it's one thing, right, to be brokenhearted in a prison cell and brokenhearted in a, in a, in a palace, right? So, so Joseph had been broken, but he was brokenhearted in prison. I mean, it, it was double trouble. So just the very fact that his broken heart can now be in a palace, you could just imagine how that alone is already Joseph experiencing some kind of repair. But not just that, it's because he knows that he's in this palace as a testimony, God's own testimony to him that I'm going to vindicate you. This was God saying, speaking words of justification to Joseph. You were betrayed, Joseph, and I saw it. You were treated unrighteously. You were cheated, and I wasn't sleeping, Joseph. I saw it. And, and God spoke words of calm to him. Those folks should never have done that to you, Joseph. And God spoke words of peace to him. But don't forget, Joseph, that in all of this, I've blessed you. Now you're in the palace. So you don't have to be held, Joseph, by the affliction of what those men did to you or what those people did to you. You don't have to be bound by it, Joseph, because look how good I've been to you in spite of. And look how I've blessed you. And look how I've caused you to thrive in spite of. And God was repairing Joseph. And when God restores... He repairs us. He will repair us. He will fix our broken hearts, our traumatized minds, a distorted way of thinking. He begins to repair. He repairs his people. He, he helps us in some way to understand the difficult providences. I, I don't say that in this present world, anyway, God gives us a full, full picture. But when he restores, he helps us to understand something, I'm sure, you know, Joseph began to understand something of why he went through what he went through. And, and just think of it. 
Eventually, if Joseph goes through this so he can reign in Egypt and preserve his family and the world, essentially, from a destructive famine, surely Joseph is going to look back on those 13 years and think they were worth it. There was, a, there was wisdom behind it. God is repairing his servants. And very often when God is restoring us, that's what he brings us, that's what he does. He brings us to this place where we can begin to make sense of the difficult, the difficulties, the challenges, the pain, the rejection that we suffered, the mistakes, the failings that we made. God, God gives us some kind of peace with it. We're able to trust his hand and providence more than simply seek for answers uh, to the questions we have. Right? We're able to give thanks rather than complain. That's how God begins to repair his people. You know, there's a, there's a, there, there are points in our lives when all we can do with God's providence is, if we're being honest, we, we're, just, we're just kind of complaining. We're just bitter about them. But God can bring his people to the point where they begin to see his hand, and rather than complain, they give thanks. They, they say, God, I, they, you, you thank God for bringing you through that. You thank God for the fact that you were not consumed by that. Uh, you thank God for the fact that you're still standing. You thank God for the fact that you're still hoping in him. You thank God for the fact that you're still stable enough to help and support others. You thank God for the ways that your trials, your trauma, your tragedy has helped you be a comfort to someone else. You thank God for the deep experience you had of Jesus through those things. God repairs his people. When he restores us, he repairs. And friends, what I'm saying to you is that when we all seek restoration, that's exactly what we're seeking for. We're seeking for God to remember us. We're seeking for God to reward us. We're seeking for God to repair us. And this is exactly what he does. The last thing is he reveals himself. Ultimately, you stand back and you read Genesis 41 carefully, contextually, and you realize this is ultimately not about Joseph, but it's about God. And when God restores, it is for his glory. When God restores, it's so that you might learn something about him. You know, very often our knowledge of God is dormant. It's sleeping. Yes, we know intellectually that God is this and God is that, but we don't know who God is. Very often when God restores, he restores in such a way that we say, I know the one I have believed. I know who I have trusted. I know his ways. I know how he acts. I know something about him. Notice the kind of things that God reveals to Joseph about himself through his restoration. God reveals his sovereignty. God is sovereign, sovereign over the whole situation. By the time Joseph is sitting in the palace quarters of Egypt, he, realized, he realizes the sovereign hand of God. Joseph could never have seen when, those, when his brothers first threw him into a pit that everything that would be done to him would lead to him being in Egypt and being a king in Egypt. But God is sovereign. When Joseph thought that those two men who came into his prison would be the source of his acquittal and liberty, and then they forgot him, he must, have, he must have been distraught. But God is sovereign enough not only to give Pharaoh's attendants a dream, God is sovereign enough to give Pharaoh a dream when he wants. And God is sovereign enough to close the understanding of the rest of the wise men of Pharaoh to the interpretation of the dream. Because as I was reading, and commentators have said, it's, there's almost a sense in which the, 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 the interpretation of the dream is, 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 is quite logical. Like, were the wise men in Egypt, were they foolish or what? Like, couldn't they see some obvious patterns here? But God is sovereign, and he's sovereign enough to not allow them to see. And I think partially as well, of course, is Joseph spoke with the assurance, the certainty of a man who knew his God, something the wise men couldn't speak with. But anyway, God is sovereign, and Joseph is learning that. And all my days are in his hands, and I'm... I have to surrender to what he wants to do. But he also don't notice that God is powerful, right? God can, in a flash, lift him from pit, um, from prison to a palace. The power of God. And Joseph um, would have seen that. Would have, he would learn how powerful his God, his God is and learn to trust. God's revealing himself as just. God is he's just. He doesn't forget um, and he, 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 will, he, he rectifies injustices. And God justly vindicated Joseph after what he had gone through. After the betrayal, after the cheating, God, was, God is just. And then God is good because God blessed Joseph far more abundantly 
than he could ask or think. Joseph learns the character of God. And when God restores us, and when God, when God deals with us providentially in that way, allows us to go through things so that we might experience his restoration, when we experience his restoration, it's so that we might know him. When God uh, remembers us, when God uh, rewards us, when God repairs us, it's so that he might reveal his glory, reveal himself to us, and we learn more about God. Well, friends, those things are true for how God acts in providence. But you know, the Bible always crescendos. The Bible always points us to the ultimate purpose of why God does what he does. And that's because of his desire to glorify his son, Jesus Christ. So Christians reading the book of uh, Joseph, of Genesis, and reading the story of Joseph, have always noticed how similar uh, or how, how much of an analogy there is between uh, Joseph and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, just like Joseph, our Lord had to go through a period of humiliation, a period of being humbled, a period of being lowly. He had to go through the betrayal of his own brothers too. Um, but that God also exalted him. Just like Joseph was exalted uh, to the highest point in, in Egypt, uh, second in command only to Pharaoh, well, Jesus Christ was exalted for a place far higher than that. He is the name above every other name, but he was exalted. Um, and, and, and just like Joseph's exaltation is going to become the salvation of the world and the salvation of even his own brothers who betrayed him, Jesus Christ makes it clear over and over again that his exaltation will be the salvation of the world and those Jews who killed him. And so we see that the patterns we learn from Joseph's story are not just abstract, empty patterns. They're patterns that tell us about the way that God is working in Christ Jesus. And when the Bible talks about the hope of the second coming, one of the phrases used, used, used to describe it is restoration. The Bible refers to the, when Jesus Christ comes, uh, we are looking forward to the restoration of all things. And it's true that God often restores in this world, but very often he also does not restore. And we are going to go, as I said earlier, we'll go to our graves knowing that there's so many areas in our lives where we just haven't been healed yet. So many things we haven't achieved, so much growth. You know, it's not like you go to a, an 80-year-old person now, 85-year-old, and they're just perfect. And they're without sin. And their temper is, is perfect. And, you know, you see, listen, people carry, the, people carry their, their flaws, some of their flaws, all their lives. People are, are old and gray and still have a bad temper, old and gray and still speak rudely, still impatient, still moody, right? We go to the grave often still as just incomplete, still needing restoration. Not like you go to the grave and you forget all the, the things, the bad things that have happened to you or the bad things you've done. Maybe you go to the grave and you're, you're less affected by them, and glory be to God for that, but they're not, they're not totally cleared, right? There's still things that I'm sure bring, uh, bring old people to, to tears, things that happened decades before, things that happened in their youth that bring them to cry in their old age, and they, say, and they say to themselves, I hope God will one day wipe away every tear. And the Bible tells us that that's what happens. Our hope for full restoration is in the coming of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, then God will remember us. And you know, the Bible speaks about the second coming in similar terms. It says it's in the blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye. Suddenly, God, as it were, will remember his promise to send for his son to return a second time. Suddenly, like a thief in the night, the world will no longer be what it used to be. Suddenly, as a thief in the night, those of us who are still alive when Christ comes will be changed 
those who are not alive will rise from the dead if they're in Christ and receive eternal. Suddenly, God will do that. And so the writers in the Bible warn us not to be naive, not to be spiritually careless and think that because everything in the world goes on as normal, it means that God has forgotten his promises to one day bring this world under judgment. The writers, the, the scriptures warn us not to live like those who are spiritually asleep, as though one day we will not all have to stand before God in judgment because we don't hear judgment and eternity being spoken of in the news or on social media, and people don't seem conscious of a divine counsel and of a God who will one day judge or of a Jesus who will one day reward. And so we start to feel like these things are not real and they're fantasy. The Bible says God can change things suddenly. So live with expectation of that. Suddenly you and I can be called to stand before God at his judgment seat. Suddenly Jesus Christ can return. And that sudden return of Christ is our hope, It's our moment of remembrance. God will remember us. But not just that, God will reward. The Bible stresses that over and over again. Our final reward is when Christ comes. That's, that's when we will receive our final reward in this life. Of course, it's for a righteous, an alien righteousness, a righteousness we haven't earned. But you know, all the days and the times and the moments that we spent trusting in Jesus, being faithful to him and refusing to follow the world, but to follow him. And, and, and being ostracized and being separated from the world and giving our Sunday mornings to be with God's people when we could have given it to so many other things. And having to receive the jeering and the accusations and the laughter and the insults of a world that think we belong to some kind of primitive, obsolete way of thinking. God will finally reward it. And the way the Bible speaks about the reward, it says, basically, that eyes have not seen. The way the Bible speaks about the reward, he says, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but one day we will see. And brothers and sisters, Christ warns us, do not seek your reward on this earth. Do not seek your reward on this earth. No amount of wealth, no amount of fame or reputation, no amount of legacy. Your legacy could be as great as Mandela's and Martin Luther King's combined. No amount is, is, is comparable to being rewarded by the almighty God himself. Right? God will reward us because of the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And we can only pity those who are going to attempt to stand before God and earn a reward by their own filthy rags. Most of us don't even come close, will never come close to having the legacy of a Mandela and Martin Luther King combined. And I'm telling you that that legacy would not be enough to earn anything before the God of the universe. And as we sing sometimes, Jesus, your blood, your righteousness, that's my glory. That's my dress. That's how I expect to stand before God and be rewarded, but we will be rewarded with a new heaven and a new earth. And if you're not going to believe that, you can't, you, if you're not going to believe in the resurrection, you don't believe in Jesus. And that's our reward. And God will repair us. He will wipe away every tear from our eye. And I know the world, and I understand it, is seeking its best to try and find as much repair as it can in this present world. That's why there's so much investment, right? And so much talk about um, uh, mental health and self-care and all that good stuff. And I understand, but there's no final repair for anyone in this world. Not as long as we still live in a body of sin. Not as long as our nature is still sinful. Let God be true and all men be liars. No amount of relationship, no amount of therapy is going to give you a final perfect repairing. We're always going to have to deal with our brokenness, but Christians deal with their brokenness by hope in the promise that Jesus will finally, he will repair me. He will finally fix me. 
He died to finally deliver me from this body of sin. And we must live this way. And that's how we can carry our unrepaired bodies. That's how we can live in this unrepaired us. Because we know that one day I will be like him. And this corruptible will put on the incorruptible. When God restores, he will repair everything in Jesus. And he will wipe away every single tear. And there will never be another feeling of bitterness or shame or regret Because we will stand before him and his glory, the glory of his light will wipe away every darkness. And when all that is done, the Bible says we shall be like him. This is all a story about God wanting us to see how glorious he is. When God finally restores, we will see what it means that all things were made for him. When God finally restores, we will see what the saints meant when they said, glory be to God. When God finally restores, we will understand what it means to worship him in the beauty of his holiness. And all I can say, brothers and sisters, is there's no life worth living if it's not for God. And all I can say to you, brothers and sisters, is gird up the loins of your mind. Speak to yourself. Pick yourself up. And hope in Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can restore you. If you're feeling this morning like you are restored and everything's okay, but you're not finding this in Jesus, you're deceiving yourself. You're confused. You're deluded. And those foundations will soon sink when the right winds come. Our hope is in Jesus. He's the one that finally restores And Joseph's story this morning is telling you and me to leave our stories behind and come and rejoice in the old, old story of Jesus. There's so many things we can't make sense of in this world. There's one thing that stands unalterably true. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for sinners. He died rose again on the third day. He is exalted. He sits at the right hand of God. He's king of kings. One day he will come and everyone will give glory to God by him. That's the true story of life. Amen.